I'm wondering if you think about some of the products that you use, some of the wellness products that maybe you're drawn to or that you purchase, what are some of the buzzwords that you remember on some of those marketing efforts towards some of these items? So things like toiletries, skin creams, even even food products marketed as using sort of pseudoscience terms to make you think that these products are going to do something maybe well beyond what they're actually capable of doing. So we're going to get into whether or not this is actually an ethical marketing practice, using terms like medical grade on skin creams or hormone balancing for some of your products. Is this actually based in any sort of scientific research? Is this legal to do, to tell you that a product can promise you this if it really can't? We're going to get into it right now with our guest, who's University of Alberta professor in health law and policy and Canada's research chair in health law and policy, Timothy Caulfield. Timothy, always good to talk to you. Thanks so much for making time for the show. Thanks for having me on, Chelsea. So you were featured and consulted in an article that ran in the New York Times, and the, the title of that was called Fake Science Sells Wellness. And I can see why you were consulted upon this, because this is really your area of expertise, Timothy. What draws you to the idea of fake science and the way that we're falsely marketed to? I know you're very passionate about it. Why, why is that? Uh, because I'm seeing it everywhere. <laughs> it's absolutely <laughs> everywhere. And and your intro, you know, really uh, touched on it perfectly. Think of almost any product, and the label is going to have some kind of sciencey term on it. Uh, and I call this science exploitation. Yeah. So what the marketers are trying to do is use real science, or as you noted, pseudoscience, in order to make the product seem more legitimate. You know, everyone, everyone now accepts that science is how we explain the world, and so they try to use real science to make their product seem like it has scientific legitimacy when it doesn't. And the other interesting thing, Chelsea, is it works. It works. There have been a number of studies that have shown that if you just, you know, plug in some sciencey terms here and there, even if they're not even connected to the product, uh, that's what you remember. And you think it means that it has scientific legitimacy, that it's been proven even if it hasn't. And, and just think about it. Uh, you know, if we went out on the street five years ago and we asked people what the word microbiome meant. Yes, I'm glad that people, you went here. This is a perfect <laughs> example. People would go, I don't know what that is. You know, maybe they have a vague <laughs> idea what it might mean. Now, you almost can't pick up a product that doesn't have the word microbiome on it, whether it's a shampoo or, you know, some kind of yogurt or a supplement, on and on and on. And what they're trying to do is exploit the excitement around the real microbiome research to sell these products. And we've seen the same trend with stem cells, regenerative medicine, genomics, you know, nano. I can just keep going on and on and on. And my favorite, Chelsea, my favorite, the word quantum. Throw the word quantum on a product <laughs> and it magically works. Okay, so I want to get really clear on this because I think microbiome was a really good example and it's mentioned in the article in the New York Times um, and I think kombucha is one of the products that's really, that kind of goes hand in hand with the idea of the microbiome, right? So you drink kombucha, it's got prebiotic properties in it that will, you know, help create some balance in your microbiome. Is that is that completely false or is it just based enough in some truth that will buy into it? Or is it a complete lie? Kind of all three. <laughs> so, 
Is that for a lame answer? <laughs> kind of all, all three. So, so you know, I, I'm actually involved in a big microbiome project at the University of British Columbia, and we and we they're doing like real microbiome research on how they can deal you deal with allergies and asthma through microbiome um, adjustments, and and. The reality is most of the microbiome research is not ready for clinical application. It's not really ready for a product, right? But there is real science there. And so what the marketers are doing is they're exploiting that in order to make their product seem more cutting edge and more, more legitimate. We did a study that was published not that long ago on how microbiome is, is represented in the public sphere. And it's almost all hype, very little real science. So who's coming up with this? Because it feels like it's sort of a collective effort from, you know, everyone from an influencer to certain products or certain companies that are marketing this and using these buzzword terms. Who's ultimately responsible when we're using a term like microbiome or, um, you know, medical grade or hormone balancing? Where are these coming from? You know, that's a, that's a really good question because I think it's a systemic problem as much as it is that, you know, we can point the finger at the marketers sure. and those people trying to profit. But I think it's a broader problem. It has to do, you know, also with how, you know, people from my community, the scientific community, the research community, talk about their work, right? You know, sometimes we talk about it in overhyped terms, and this is something that we've also studied. Uh, and I get it. I get it. You know, researchers are excited about their work. They think it's going to be in the lab maybe sooner than it realistically could be in the lab. It, but that excitement is picked up um, and leveraged by the marketers. Uh, the, uh, on the other sort of side uh, of the equation, we have, you know, the individuals who are sort of accepting it. We need to be more, have more critical thinking skills and sort of discerning what's good science and what's not good science. But of course, of course, the marketers do, do deserve some, some of the blame here for exploiting this stuff. But I think you touch on something really important that I think as consumers, we need to exercise our critical thinking maybe a little bit more. And maybe the onus is on us as consumers. You know, I'm a bit torn here because I can, I can appreciate and understand how someone who's marketing a product ultimately wants to sell it and they want to use these terms it's not illegal not to, but they're just sort of based enough in what sounds like science that it will get consumers to buy them. Is that onus then on the person that's making that purchase? Well, you know, I would like to see I would like to see more done on both sides, right? So I do think we need, you know, in this age of misinformation, in this age of spun science, and then and in this age of bad science, because that's something else we haven't talked about. Sometimes they're relying on bad science. Um, I do think I would like to see a higher standard for for marketers, right? If they're going to use that terminology, it does it should be required to be rooted in in some real science. But you're right, if they're not making a direct health claim, you know, if you make a health claim, then you know that. That Health Canada kicks in, and the U.S. the FDA and FTC kicks in. So they're very careful how they use the language. So the regulatory levers are, are pretty minimal. Um, but I would like to see them raised a bit. And then on the other side, I think as consumers, we need to you know teach more critical thinking skills and sort of you know arm citizens with the you know some people aren't even aware of this, right? Mm. Make make individuals more aware of, of how science is exploited to sell products. So talk a little bit about something that you just mentioned, bad science, and some of these being rooted in bad science. What is that? So one of the one of the big issues of today is so much of the scientific literature is polluted with with bad science. We certainly saw that happen over the last three years, and by that I mean science is published in fake journals, science that is published in what are known as predatory journals. So these are journals of very marginal quality that you pay to have your 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 study and putting that in scare quotes <laughs> published, and then that gets picked up by social media people and circulated. And even if it's retracted, even if it's highlighted by you know the the broad scientific community that this is fake, people still remember it, and it becomes what I call a zombie study, 
right? And, and you know, I hate to raise the word vaccines, but this is a really good example of where that happens, where the anti-vax community will publish a very bad study or even a fake study, a fraudulent study, and people just remember the study. They don't remember that it's been retracted. And this is a real, real problem, Chelsea. It's this, the scientific literature is becoming increasingly polluted, which makes it more difficult for people to tease out what's good stuff and what's bad stuff. Yeah, it makes me think of that, you know, really lofty dream world we just talked about where people exercise critical thinking might be impossible. <laughs> <laughs> Do you feel like you are, we're just drowning in a sea of misinformation? What's the, what's the best way out of it? Well, I, I think you're right. I, I think that this trend is going to make it more difficult to tease out, you know, to, to, to apply critical thinking skills. But there are some tools, and one of the best ones is body of evidence, right? You know, never, don't fall for what's called the single study syndrome. You know, okay. you never fall for, oh, there was this one study that involved six mice that found <laughs> X. You know, it's never going to be that, right, when you're talking about something as complex as the human body. So always think about, okay, what does the body of evidence say on this topic about diet, about skin care, which, you know, of course, a lot of these products are focused on, um, you know, what does it say? And, and that's, that's a, I think, a really good place to start and, and, and as a way to navigate through uh, all this noise. What about reading reviews? Like, what, that's what I'll do is I'll find some a product that I think, you know, someone's maybe talking about online or on TikTok, and then I'll go and I'll read all of the reviews and sort of try to get a better handle <laughs> on what actual users are saying. Is that a better strategy or are there flaws in that too? Chelsea, we're going to have to have another conversation when my new book comes out. Because <laughs> oh, that's like, I have a whole <laughs> section on, on, on the re- review economy. And the short answer is no. <laughs> you know, reviews are so often fake. A massive proportion of reviews are, are fake. And you think of the trillions of dollars that are moved based on reviews. Uh, they're either fake, they're either incentivized, yeah. or there's our own cognitive biases that have an, ad, uh, have an influence on how we experience that, that product. So, you know, yeah, it, it, reviews are a tool, but you should be highly skeptical of reviews. So the whole information, the bottom line, the whole in- <laughs> our whole information economy is being twisted by various forces. I feel like I'm skeptical of everything now. Timothy, <laughs> this is a really good opportunity because you just mentioned it to plug your book. So what is it? When does it come out? Oh, you know, I, I should. I was too early. That was too early. It's, <laughs> I think it's probably going to be out in, in in early 2024. So okay. you know, stay tuned. Well, while we are inundated with misinformation and junk science, pseudoscience, I know that we will chat again before your book comes out. So lots of chance for you to talk about it and talk about what it is that we as consumers still do not know. Timothy, thanks so much for your time today. Thanks a lot, Chelsea. Appreciate it. That's Timothy Caulfield, University of Alberta professor in health law and policy and Canada's research chair in health law and policy. So fake science sells wellness. Is this new to you or do you feel like when you're purchasing products, you're kind of taking it with a little bit of a grain of salt when they claim to do all of these things that they don't really do?